Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I'd like to pray. Lord God, it is such a privilege for us to gather together as your people in your presence. And Father, as we open up scripture now, would you speak so clearly to us by your spirit? Father, I pray you would open our hearts up so that these truths which we're going to look at hit home and reside with us as we go from here into our weeks, into whatever they may hold. And so we just want to honour you this afternoon, Lord, and uh, pray that you would take the words that I use and use them for your glory. Amen. So I've called this this sermon, When the Word and the Spirit Cohabit. And... um, uh, when I read this passage in Colossians chapter 3, I just find the two things sat there so naturally together. You've got this wonderful description of the people of God, holy and beloved, chosen of God, and then this whole list of characteristics which they're meant to display, which we are meant to display. Kindness, gentleness, humility, love, forgiveness, etc., And that reminds me of passages like Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, many of the same words which are here. And so, although the the Spirit is not specifically mentioned in this passage, I think it's very clear that this is a people who are empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But what is explicit in this passage is the Word of Christ, the Word Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And so I wanted to take that as my theme, the word and the spirit. And it's kind of out there as a, a theme, if you like, and very you know, in, within our everyday talk, I suppose, within church circles. Um, word and spirit, and this kind of feeling that maybe there's a tension between the two. Well, I don't think there is a tension between the two, because I feel that they most naturally sit close together. They cannot really be separated. But this theme is something that I do feel quite strongly about. And uh, many of you don't know me very well yet, but as you get to know me, hopefully you will get to know that this theme is something I feel strongly about. Um, And I wonder whether it maybe is out of my experience. So uh, God graciously saved me when I was seven years old. And uh, the way he did it was, uh, for my seventh birthday, my parents gave me some children's scripture union Bible reading notes. And uh, my birthday is around Easter time, and so that was the theme of the notes. And so as I worked my way through those, um, uh, day after day, it kind of made sense, this story of the cross and my need, therefore, for forgiveness for the things that I had done wrong. And so one night in the middle of May, 28, 9 years ago, um, I just lay there and said, God, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I've done all those things wrong, and I want to be your friend. 
simple in the head of a a seven-year-old. And I think we can make it way more complicated than that, and we don't need to. But my take on that is that but through the reading of his word, he stirred my heart by his spirit. And suddenly it made sense. And there was this need for me to respond to the word. And then my experience in terms of church was quite varied over the next, uh, the next decade, I guess. Um, mainly I was in churches that were very strong on the preaching of the word, on doctrine, on getting it right, on being true to this, on knowing this book inside out. But filled with people who were generally fairly resistant to things of the spirit because it was seen as kind of a bit strange and not really for today. That was my experience. However, when I was nine, ten years old, my family were part of a, a church that was kind of on the other end of the spectrum, if you want to imagine that there's a, a spectrum, and I'm saying there shouldn't be, but let's say that there is. Um, and there, there were many, many experiences of the Spirit and some fairly flaky interpretation of the Word of God. Um, some of which was taught in Sunday school, which I was a recipient of. So that was interesting. But out of those kind of formative experiences, I guess, I've come to really believe that churches and we as individual believers must be a people of the word and spirit. There shouldn't be a separation of the two. We need an abundance of both. We need the Holy Spirit in greater measure, to a greater depth, in a more profound way than we have ever experienced before. And we need accurate, laser-like teaching of the doctrine of the full counsel of the Word of God. And those two things, when they cohabit, brings a church that is biblical and a church that will change the society that it is in. So I just wanted to spend a few minutes um, looking at the theme of the Word and the Spirit through Scripture. And I have to keep myself to make this brief. So it will be a bit of a whistle-stop tour, um, but I want to get on back into Colossians in a few minutes' time. So first of all, if you have your Bibles with you, I think it's always good to start on the first page. And so Genesis chapter 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So just note that in the beginning, God was there, and the Spirit of God was there. Then if you turn to the start of John's Gospel, John says, in the beginning, same start, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So I think from those two verses we can conclude that in the beginning there was God, the Word, and the Spirit. And that is just amazing. And just as there was no separation of these things right back at the very start of time, so there shouldn't be now. But then as we read on through the Old Testament, we get what I like to think are hints of the future. Hints of this kind of, what I've just talked about, this abundance of word in the spirit in the life of the church and the believer. I think we get hints of that as we read through the Old Testament. And so we see the law being given. The law, God's word. God's wisdom for living. But more than that, the law was God's self-revelation to us. 
He was outlining something of his character when he gave the law, something of his priorities and principles of how we should live, the word of God given at that point. And then as we read on through the Old Testament, we come across the prophets, God's messengers speaking his words. Hebrews describes the prophets as being those who reveal God to us. But Peter talks about them as being messengers who are carried along by the Spirit. They don't just magic up this revelation. No, the revelation is given to them by the Spirit. So they speak God's word by his Spirit. And we get hints again in other places of, of what life might, might be like in a future time. So Deuteronomy chapter f- uh, 30 and verse 14 says, But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. That doesn't sound to me like a couple of tablets of stone sat on the side. The law, the word. No, it's something that is living and inside us that we may observe it. And so there's these kind of glimmers, these hints of what might be to come. But in addition to that, the later prophets bring sort of promises and prophetic words that crystallize it a bit more. So it becomes a bit more explicit. So if we look at Ezekiel chapter 36, we read this in verses 26 and 27. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes or law or word. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So it seems to be that there's a time coming when this old heart will be removed, this new heart put in us, we'd be filled with the spirit in order to follow the word of God. Something different. It seems that there's going to be a coming of the Holy Spirit, which will bring about a new era of the Word. Because no longer will it be a thing removed that we have to obey, but it will be something living inside us because of the Spirit. And then, of course, as we continue to read through our Bibles, we see Jesus, the ultimate Word of God, the revelation of God to us. And so again, in John chapter 1, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus, Jesus, the word of God, God incarnate, became man. And early on in his ministry, he got baptized. And again, I think there's just a wonderful picture of the word and the spirit. So Matthew chapter 3, I said this would be quick. So, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus is baptized by John the baptizer. And he says, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Who's Jesus? The word of God. And what comes to rest on him? The spirit of God. Amazing, that union of word and spirit there on Jesus. And throughout his ministry, we see him going about. Luke describes him as being led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, moving in the power of the Spirit. And we see this incredible man, uh, this God-man, Jesus, teaching in a way that has never been taught before, bringing light on old uh, scripture, bringing it to life by the power of the Spirit. 
and doing all sorts of incredible signs and wonders throughout his ministry. And he promises that he has to go. He has to leave. John 16, 7. He has to go. Why? So then the Spirit will come. So the Word of God has to return to the Father so the Spirit may be poured out on all of us. And so there, the coming of the Word, Jesus, was in order to inaugurate a new era of the Spirit in the church. Which, of course, we see at Pentecost, don't we? Where the Holy Spirit is poured out on that gathering of believers. And again, we see powerful preaching as Peter stands up and he quotes all sorts of Old Testament scriptures, which would, I think, have been shrouded in mystery up to that point. But the Holy Spirit brings new insight into that, new revelation, and he applies it, and 3,000 people are saved on that day. The Word, empowered by the Spirit through the preaching of Peter. And that is replicated again and again and again throughout the early church with the gospel being preached faithfully and with signs and wonders accompanying the power, the preaching of the gospel and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on those believers time and again. I just want to pick out one verse really for this. So Acts 2.42, they were continually vote, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now, if that's not the word and the spirit together, I don't know what is. The apostles' teaching and the power of signs and wonders and a sense of awe. And so for us, I think it's exactly the same. Nothing really has changed since Acts chapter 2, other than this has been written down and kind of collected together, his words, so we have copies of it to hand, and we live 2,000 years later. That's pretty much all that's changed. But Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to us. And he pours out the Holy Spirit on us. And one of the things he says the Spirit will do, and we sang about it in one of the songs, is that he will guide us into all truth. The Spirit will guide us into all truth. John 16 says that. So I think this theme is there in Scripture. And like I say, that's just a very brief overview, really. Um, But it's there. And there's a real need for us to to get to grips with it, I think, as as believers. A.W. Tozer, writing in 1955, said, The great need of the hour among persons spiritually hungry, which I think we would count ourselves amongst, is twofold. First, to know the scriptures, apart from which no saving truth will be vouchsafed, so given or told to us by our Lord. The second, to be enlightened by the Spirit apart from whom the scriptures will not be understood. The need to know the scriptures, you need the spirit for that. And the second, to be enlightened by the spirit in order that you can know the scriptures. So back to Colossians. What does verse 16 say? Well, it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now the second part of that verse might seem familiar with, I would argue, a more well-known verse in our sorts of churches. So Ephesians 5, chapter 18, 
sorry, Ephesians 5 verse 18, the second half of that says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sound familiar? Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. And just on the next slide, I've put in red the uh, words which are similar in those two. So you can see all those results. The psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, giving thanks, etc. But the source of those, in these letters, Paul wrote both of these in diff- different contexts. We haven't got time to look at that. Um, but the sources of those are firstly, in Colossians, the word of Christ dwelling richly in us, and the second, being filled with the Spirit. So although the Spirit isn't mentioned in Colossians, the parallel passage would quite clearly put it down to something to do with the Holy Spirit. So I think I'm on safe ground. I wonder whether it's helpful to liken this to a battery, to the word being a battery. And if you imagine a child's toy, and this is probably easier for some of us than others, but I've been reintroduced to children's toys in the last few years, but they kind of make all sorts of irritating noises and you want to take the batteries out. That's the main thing. Um, But they need batteries to work, most of them. And uh, so there's a space, there's a gap for this battery shape to go in. And when you put it in, that's fine. But that actually doesn't do anything doesn't do anything. You can have a perfectly good battery plugged in, but you have to switch it on. You have to do something that allows the power to run through the battery so that it will flash and dance and sing and whatever else. And I wonder whether that's a bit like the Word of God, that we need to have it, and we could just have it on the side. We could even have it in us. We could know it. But unless we allow the Spirit to move through it, then the results are going to be fairly limited. Similarly, you can switch that toy on and have kind of all the power in theory that you want going through it, but if there's nothing to go through this battery, then it's not going to work. And similarly, we can have all sorts of experiences of the Spirit, but if it's not rooted and grounded in truth and explained through that, then where does it lead to and what are we, what, where is it flowing in the right direction, I guess? So let's look at a couple, this verse in a bit more detail because there's some phrases in there which I think are worth exploring a bit. The first is the word of Christ. Earlier when I was talking about the word and the spirit, you may have noticed that I used the word in quite a few different ways through that. So sometimes it referred to Jesus. Sometimes I referred it back to the law. Sometimes I referred it to the Bible. And... So what does the word of Christ really mean? Am I allowed to do that when I talk about the word? Well, Fee describes the word of Christ here as being the message of the gospel with its central focus being Christ. It's anything to do with Jesus. And really, I think that in the broader sense of the word, word, it means the revelation of God to us. And therefore, in all those contexts, Jesus, the ultimate revelation to us, but scripture is the revelation of God to us. And so I think it's perfectly fine to think of the word and the spirit being in all those different contexts. But we're not just talking about the gospel here. 
We're talking about the whole revelation of God, the whole of his word to us. And the whole of the Old Testament, of course, points to Jesus. And the whole of the New Testament accounts his life and then tells us of the implications of his life, death, resurrection and ascension. So the word of Christ, that is what has to be in us, dwelling richly. So let's look at those words, richly. John Wesley describes this verse, uh, or this word rather, richly meaning in the largest measure and with the greatest efficacy, which I didn't know what that meant, so I had to look it up. Um, It means producing the desired effect. So with its greatest desired effect, um, so as to govern and fill the whole soul. Good, isn't it? He wrote well in those days, even if I don't understand it now. In the greatest measure. There's, there's a richness about this. You can't put the word of God inside you and just expect it to be a fairly mediocre outcome. This is the word of God. This is his revelation to us. So it's going to be rich. It's going to be big. It's going to be good. But it's richly dwelling in us. To dwell means to abide or to live. It's not to, again, Wesley says, not to make a short stay or an occasional visit, but to take up its stated residence. I do a a bit of travelling in my work and go to various places in the country. Some places I go to fairly regularly, and so because I'm a creature of habit, I stay in the same hotel each time. However, I am never, ever tempted when I'm asked, where do you live, to give the name of an address of a hotel that I stay in occasionally. It's not where I live. It's not where I belong. It's not where my family is. It's the same for the word of Christ. It's got to dwell in us. It's got to be in us. This has got to be its natural residence, not on the shelf, not as some sort of theory that we engage with on a Sunday, but something that's dwelling in us, living in us and producing results. So let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And I think it does have to produce results. And I think Paul helpfully outlines two results for us here. So the first is teaching. Teaching. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Teaching. The communication of truth so that others look increasingly like Jesus. I think that's what teaching is. The aim of teaching is so that we look more like Jesus. Colin Cruz uh, writes that teaching is new insight into old revelation, which I quite like as well. This idea that this has been written a long time ago, but teaching brings new insight. But teaching has an emphasis on the truth, an emphasis on the revelation of God, which acts as a plumb line or a measuring line for our lives. It protects us against false or wonky doctrine. It promotes growth in us as believers so that we grow strong and we mature. Peter phrases it as that we crave the pure milk of the world so we grow in respect to salvation. That's what teaching does. And there are many different facets to teaching. Here, Paul just gives us two. He says teaching and admonishing one another. Admonishing is telling someone that they've done something wrong. So teaching and admonishing. But there are many others Um, in 2 Timothy. Let's look at this one. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. 
if I can find it in my Bible. Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, so that word again, for reproof, which means dealing with sin, for correction of lifestyle, so that we're living the right way, and for training in righteousness. This scripture is good, isn't it, if it does all that sort of thing to us? Teaching, reproof, correction, training, so that the man of God may be adequate or mature, equipped for every good work. Teaching should encourage, it should exhort, it should build up, it can rebuke, it can exhort, it can correct, it can reprove, but it is always good. It is always good to be taught well. So you think, yeah, great, that's good. So who does the teaching? Well, all of us. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So it's for all of us. It's something we can all do. And isn't that right? He's writing to the group of believers here. And if the word of Christ is richly dwelling in each of us, then obviously each of us can help each other. That should be the way it works. But we need to learn how to do this, and it's not something we always get right. So a couple of stories from my experience. Sometimes it is difficult to teach, even though you know it's the right thing. It's sometimes difficult, and the results are not always what you want. So a few years ago, a very, very close friend of mine um, was at the stage where he felt that it was going to be right for him to leave his wife. I disagreed. Um, and I thought I had some basis in scripture to show why I disagreed. And so we met up for coffee and we talked through. And although I think I was right, because this book says what marriage should be like, what God thinks about divorce, etc., etc. And I spoke the truth to him, but it didn't result in him staying with his wife. And that saddens me, grieves me. And it's difficult, I think, to, to present truth like that and then for it not to be received. And okay, maybe I could have done a better job. Maybe I should have painted a much more glorious picture of marriage than I did rather than the danger of divorce. I don't know. But it doesn't always work out the way we want. However, it is still good to do. Sometimes it has a different effect from the from what we intend. So um, soon after I got my first Bible, I thought that I would make my parents a present. And um, the present I made, I've got a picture of, it was a bookmark. And for the benefits of the millions who will listen to this on the download, um, it is a, a blue strip of paper. On top of it is stuck with sellotape, a white strip of paper. On top of that is uh, stuck, with again with sellotape, two strips of yellow paper in the shape of a cross. Because I knew the cross was important, because that's how I've become a Christian. On the reverse, I looked up a verse that meant something to me and thought would encourage my parents. And it's Luke 23, verse 34, which says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. (laughs) 
my mum says that she didn't know whether to laugh or cry when she opened it. And the other week when I got her to bring it over so I could uh, get that illustration for you, um, it still makes her laugh when she thinks about it. It's a very battered thing now. but um, So yeah, slightly different effect. I thought it was good to encourage people with scripture, but you have to learn, maybe. It doesn't always work out. However, sometimes it does really help. And sometimes we get encouragement from that as well. So even just this week, um, before Christmas, we had some friends who were facing a fairly difficult situation, tough set of decisions to make. And I just uh, felt God uh, highlight a verse of scripture um, that I should share with them. So I shared it with them. And they said, thank you. And, and off they went. And then I saw them just the other day and they said, that was really helpful. Because what it did was stirred faith that actually God was in this decision-making process. And God can do that. That's nothing to do with me. That's just the word being in me and the Holy Spirit then bringing it to the fore. And that's the same for all of us. And I think that's what Paul means here about teaching and admonishing one another. So how do we get to the point where the word is, is dwelling richly within us. Well, I think a few weeks ago, uh, Joe, there he is, was very helpful on this when he talked about delight and power. Do you remember talking out of Psalm 119? He talked about delighting in the word of God. And I'd encourage you to, if you haven't listened to that, go and listen to it. But also just spend some time in the wisdom literature, in the Psalms, in Proverbs. Read the first verse of each of the first nine chapters of Proverbs. That will do you good. Because it talks about meditating on the word of God and hiding it in your heart and holding fast to it. And that's the sort of thing we mean. But Psalm 119 is a good place to start if you've got half an hour. Um, If you haven't, then Psalm 19, so just 19 or 119, that talks about the law of God as well. And just very helpful to get those sorts of truths in us. But So we can delight in his word. But we also have to prioritize his word. You have to make it a focal point of how we live. And I think there's a a helpful passage in Deuteronomy chapter 11. So I'm going to spend a minute or two just talking you through through, uh, this model which God gives us here. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 18 says, You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. So you notice that that is all about you, the reader, all about me. Impress these words of mine on my heart, on my mind. Put Tie them on my head. That's one of the phrases. I don't often ever do that. Um, (laughs) Put them as a sign on your hand. But it's there. It's got to be there. It's about you and having the word in you. Verse 19, you shall teach them to your sons. talking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So this isn't just something that we as individuals have to do, it's something we have to do in our families. If you've got children, we need to be doing this, teaching it to our sons, talking about it, the thing that you talk about when you get up, the thing that you talk about when you go to bed, when you walk along, when you sit and have breakfast. This word of Christ should be so in us that we talk about it. If you haven't got family, you're wrong. You have got family. Look around the room. We're family. Family. We teach each other. We talk to each other, just as it's modelled here. 
Verse 20, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Have you got verses of scripture etched across your front door? I haven't. Maybe we should. Maybe that's what it means. But what I think it means is that when you walk into a home, you should know that this is a place where the word of Christ dwells richly. It should be evidence that this is a house where the word of God has eminence and is, is esteemed and highly regarded. There's three stages. It's ourselves, it's our families, it's our homes. But we're to prioritise the word. So when was the last time that you asked someone, what is God speaking to you about through his word at the moment? And encourage you to do that in life groups this week. So you've got four days, three days to hear. But what is it he's speaking to you about? When was the last time that you said to someone, I've been reading this bit of the Bible and I just don't get it. Can you help me? Any ideas? Just a few weeks ago, someone called me out of the blue and just said, I've got this situation, Simon, and I'm just looking for some biblical principles. Do you know of any? Well, they didn't immediately fly to mind, um, but we kind of had a chat and thought it through a bit, and I didn't at all have the answers. But that's good, isn't it, that we're doing that with each other? Let me ask you, when was the last time you sat down to read his word and God just went, take notice of that? That's the spirit in you, highlighting the word. So, teaching is the first result of the word of Christ richly dwelling in us with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. But the second thing is that we do that with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think the second result of having the word of Christ richly dwelling in us is praise. It's praise. I find it interesting that actually worship here seems to have an effect in two different directions. It seems to be praise to God, which is absolutely right because he's worthy of all praise. But also it's a means of teaching each other. So if you notice, it says teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Just in passing, really, I think psalms here refers to at least the Old Testament psalms, but more. Okay. Um, I think hymns would have referred to kind of um, pre-written songs sung to deities, so kind of formalised songs, much like ones that we sang today. Obviously, the deity we were, I say deity because it was written into that sort of context. Obviously, our deity is God. Um, But those kind of, so they're written down and we know them. And then spiritual songs, I think, would have been just songs which are much more spontaneous, as the spirit leads, if you like. So there's kind of three different things here. Scripture-based things, formalised songs which help us, and then the spontaneous spontaneous songs which we use. And I think we had elements of all three today. So blessed be your name. That's kind of just lifting scripture up and singing it. And then we've got formalised songs, as I've said. And then there was that period towards the end of worship where we were all bringing spiritual songs, weren't we? Rob encouraged us to sing out. But sometimes it can be uh, just an individual singing to all of us and to God. 
but singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's something about the overflow of your heart here. It's the word in us overflowing into worship. And I wonder whether when we read that, we kind of get close to thinking about what Jesus said to the woman at the well when he said, you will worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth, spirit and word coming together in our worship. Now you may be sat there thinking, well that's great, and the worship leader, praise God, we've got some great worship leaders, and they lead us well. They choose good songs that teach us and build us up, and that is great. Well, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So again, we are all involved in this. Something we can all do. And there's a, a, a similar passage in, in 1 Corinthians 14 where it says each one of you has a psalm and a hymn and so on. So there's definitely a call to all of us. And so I would just say we need to sing. We need to worship. We need to exalt and glorify God. And our songs need to be full of scripture, full of truth. Our songs should be enriching. They should build us up. They should magnify him. A few weeks ago, um, Rob was preaching on the anointing. And I believe that part two is next week. And so it feels like this sits quite nicely in terms of emphasis, word and spirit. No, both. And more of both. But I think really the two kind of action points that we should take away with us are simply to read the word and sing in the spirit. Because that's what this verse is all about. I think we're called to develop lives that have an abundance of both word and spirit. A place where the word and the spirit cohabit. And so I would love to, for us to do two things. I would love us to worship and I've uh, dropped a song at the last minute on Tim, so apologies there. Um, but I'm going to worship. But also, I would love to pray for people. I would love to pray for people who hear this and think, I would love for the Holy Spirit to come and open up Scripture to me again. It's all got a bit dull and a bit dry. Maybe you even started off the year 1st of January, Genesis 1, here we go, this is the year. And six weeks in, you've got to Genesis 2, and it's all a little bit hard going. And Revelation 20-odd seems a long way away. Now I jest, but we can do that to ourselves, can't we? It's meant to be a joy and a delight reading his word. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. So I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit will come and invade in that area. And my prayer will be very simple. I'll tell you now what I'll pray. It will be that the word of Christ richly dwells within you and the Holy Spirit fills you. That's what I've got faith to pray for this morning. So if you, this afternoon even. Um, so if you want me to pray that, then just come forward and we'll pray.